Grab your copy of God's Word and join me in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're going to continue where we left off last week. And Pilate's court, this unjust, unfair trial that our Savior uh, went through. Christian lawyers have, <clears throat> have examined these, these trials <clears throat> mock trials they were, and they were found five, at least five illegal activities that would have never taken place in the court of law, especially today. Uh, they would not have ever had a, a proceedings or any type of court held at night. Uh, that was against Jewish law, and even under Roman law, they were not allowed to begin proceedings at night uh, because of a, a swift execution. And they could not do that. Secondly, the prisoner was personally abused and mistreated before he was ever brought to trial. Who does that? This man was beaten and beaten unrecognizable. Uh, and still they, they had not even uh, found uh, a sentence for him. And, and yet uh, he was already abused and mistreated. They allowed contradictory uh, testimony to be evidence. Uh, we read that. And of course, we've covered some of this. But they, they did not even have solid evidence and then the, the, uh, the, the person being accused, Jesus, was not allowed to bring any witnesses. There was no witnesses on his behalf, nobody in his defense, no blind man that was uh, given sight, no lame man that was given uh, his uh, legs to walk, no, no man with a withered hand that was uh, saying, hey, I have strength in my hand now. Uh, Jesus was not allowed to have anyone to his defense. Lastly, the judge before whom he pronounced him guilty uh, declared three different times uh, here in Pilate, declared that Jesus uh, was an innocent man. He said, I find no fault in him, and yet found him guilty. At least five different things that we have already come through in our study of John. We read about Pilate, we read about Caiaphas, we read about Judas, we read about other disciples, we read about the religious Jewish Sadducees and the Pharisees, we read about all these different people that played an important role in the crucifixion, but how about the soldiers? The soldiers pray, played a very important role in this text because Pilate, though irresponsible, though very cowardly, declared him guilty, though he said he found him innocent. He was responsible for giving the orders to the soldiers, but the soldiers were the ones that was actually the ones that put him to death. It was the soldiers. Now, we do not have any of the names of the soldiers like we do other Bible characters, but they're just called soldiers. But actually, there's three groups of soldiers that we'll find in our, in, throughout the Gospels. The first group of soldiers were the temple guards. They were the ones that came at night with Judas, remember? And, and Judas led them to the Garden of Gethsemane and found Jesus there with some other disciples, and he was praying. And as Judas revealed to that kiss on the cheek and said, this is Jesus, they arrested him. Those were temple guards. They were the ones that was laying the foundation for this crucifixion. Then there's another group of soldiers called Pilate's soldiers. They were uh, temple guards. They, they passed Jesus on to these Pilate soldiers. These were uh, high-ranking soldiers. At least four of them were executioners. They were someone who would put Jesus 
or anyone to death on a Roman cross. These were Pilate's soldiers. But then there's the third group of soldiers, and they are the tomb soldiers. These soldiers were responsible for guarding the tomb after the death of Christ. When we have our live tomb display around Easter every year, uh, these are the guards that stand out there. You are a tomb soldier. Your responsibility is to stand and guard the tomb with your life, seeing that no one tampers with the body of Jesus. Here this morning, with God's help, I want to preach out of John 19 as we have been in on the wondrous cross. We have come to the cross of Christ, and I want to read to you in our text the verses that will apply today to our subject, the cross. Look with me in verse number 1 again. The Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put him Uh, and put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Now go down with me to verse number 23 of that same chapter. The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and my vesture, for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now go with me to verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. And when they had come to Jesus, and they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. Forthwith came there out blood and water. And he saw it. And he saw that it bare record. And his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture might be Uh, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him should not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, again, thank you for what you have done already in our first service and what you've done in my heart through these studies. God, I pray for just just the next few minutes, Lord, that you will bring us to Calvary and let us see in our minds, our imaginations, our hearts, the awful agony, but the grace that was bestowed and the love that was shown. Lord, I'm thankful for what you've done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach, as I said, on the wondrous cross of John chapter 19. I want you to notice the awful pain. Now, I must tell you about this pain that before the mid-1900s, preachers would describe in bloody detail the suffering of Jesus. 
But around 1940 or 1950, preachers were told that such description of the death of Christ was a little too gory and a little too upsetting. And so to back off a little bit from the description because it wasn't fitting for the audience. Modern television has desensitized us to the cruelty of just cruelty in general, but cruelty especially when it involves death and violence. We know what we see on television is not real. We'll watch a movie with uh, gore and watch a movie with violence and it doesn't affect us because we know these are actors and these are not real and and this didn't really happen. And so it does not affect us. And, And I believe if we read our Bible and sometimes when we come to John 19 and Matthew 27 and the other Gospels that allude to uh, the crucifixion, we read it as if it does not even matter or that it really did not happen we have become desensitized to the sufferings of Jesus I want you to watch the soldiers as they inflict the awful pain to our Savior this morning the first thing that we come to is the scourging look with me in John 19 and verse 1 then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him scourging was unbelievably cruel. They would prepare the victim for the scourging. His hands were tied behind his back and the victim was taunted and then he was slapped with an open hand. Then soldiers in a group or a mob, they would slap one after another and then with their fists they would strike the head or the eyes until the eyes were swollen and just slits. The victim was then stripped naked He was bent over and his hands were tied behind his back and he was lashed with straps that was containing little bits of bone and metal. And the Romans, there was really no maximum number, but like 39 lashes in Jewish law, according to Deuteronomy, this is what they did to our Savior. That sadistic executioner that took that whip and beat our Savior, he lashed in a way that he lashed without stopping. Most would have never made it. The first blow would have knocked our Savior, it knocked His breath out of His body, and the bits of bone and the bits of pieces of of metal in this relentless flailing tore His flesh and tore the blood and eyes and teeth and even pieces of internal organs that would come out because of this. And many victims died before they ever even were to be put to death on a Roman cross. Jesus was a bloody pulp when Pilate brought him out in John chapter 19 in verse number 5. And he said, Behold the man! When he brought him out to the crowd, Behold the man! Jesus wasn't standing there like he was before. Jesus was standing there unrecognizable, bloody, beaten. Pilate scourging The crowd enjoyed it. They loved to see the blood. They loved to see our Savior beaten and bloody. And the more they saw it, the more they yelled in verse number 6, Crucify Him! Crucify! We want more! He's still breathing. We want more. What did our Savior do in that moment? He didn't lash back out at them. He didn't cry ugly words. Matter of fact, when they put Him on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
The scourging was a terrible thing. But secondly, there was the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. I want you to notice the crown of thorns. They're very significant. Let's begin to read Matthew 27 and verse number 27. Matthew 27 and verse number 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him, now notice this, and put on him a scarlet robe. What were they doing? They were mocking Jesus. You want to be a king? Call yourself a king? We're going to strip you of your robe or of your common clothes and we're going to put you on some royalty. So we're going to give you a robe and call you a king. And they plaited a crown of thorns and they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. A mockery. The soldier unknown to himself, the one that placed the crown of thorns upon our Savior's head. He preached a symbolic message that day. He didn't even know it. But he preached the message that day that I thought, hey, that'd be good to preach to our people today. Turn with me to Genesis chapter number 3. You say, Pastor, what's this crown of thorns? What's the importance? Well, I want you to see the importance of the, the thorns on the crown. There's a curse that took place when sin came into the world. Look with me in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 14. The Bible says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon the belly thou shalt go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now notice verse 18. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Thorns, thistles, was a product of the sin. See, they did not exist before sin came into the world. And because of the curse and the fall of man, God said, I'm going to curse the ground and you're going to have to put up with thorns and thistles. And that's what they placed upon our Savior's head. These are symbols of the sorrow. These are symbols of the suffering of mankind, a resulting from sin. And just think about this, None, not, 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 before, not before this event, in Genesis 3, did there ever a thorn ever exist on the planet Earth? And here we are in John's Gospel, and they're placed upon our Savior's head. Why? Because of sin. 
I call it the crown of thorns, the crown of sin's curse. Symbolizing the sin that we brought into the world, that Adam and Eve brought down and passed upon all men, wherefore all men are sinners. Placed upon our Savior's head, the crown of sin's curse. But go with me to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, and let's look in verse number 9. Genesis 22 and verse number 9. There's another thicket that we need to examine. Verse number 9, And they came to the place that God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou, uh, that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Now notice verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket. A ram by the horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. I, I call this the, the crown, uh, the crown of, of, of sin's curse, but not only that, the crown of sacrifice. You say, why? Because as the ram that was caught in the thicket by his horns, his, his head, was a sacrifice and a substitution for Isaac, a picture of God the Father and Jesus Christ on Mount Moriah, of the sacrifice that it would be, he found the ram in the stead, a substitute. So the thorns on the head of our Savior speaks of His sacrifice for us. It should have been us on that cross. It should have been the crown of thorns on our head. But instead, our curse and our suffering and our shame was placed upon Jesus. But there's another crown I'm interested in. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. There's another crown that I believe because of the death of Christ, he's been given. Hebrews chapter 2, and look at verse number 9. The Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. This is a crown, not of thorns, not of sinful things that we have done, but because of the death of Christ and the suffering of Christ and the obedience to the Father, He now is wearing a crown of glory and honor that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Hey, Revelation talks about a crown that He'll wear. You say, Pastor, what's the significance? Well, that soldier that was placing the crown upon our Savior's head, I call that the crown of sovereignty. 
This was the crown. And by the way, the plan of the Father, the plan unfolded. God's plan of redeeming us so that we wouldn't have to go to hell, so that we could live for Him, that we could bring honor and glory to Him. His Son had to die. This was the will of the Father. So we see the crown of thorns. We see the scourging. We see the nails. They would find a soft spot in the wrist area and they would drive a Roman spike through the nail fastening our Savior to wood. That He would hoist upon a cross. He would carry a cross member and there would be poles in the ground and they would lift our Savior up and set Him down and all of the joints in His body and all of the things would tear because of the nails the weight. There's no way that we can look at this awful pain and give it the attention that it deserves, but I have to move on because not only was there awful pain here on this wondrous cross, but there was abuse of shame. There was shame that took place. See, at the trial, this unfair, unjust trial... A man shoves our Savior in a stool and says, Your throne, O King. Here's your throne. A half-conscious Jesus stiffly moves and the man hurls expletives at him and curses at him in his, right in his face. And he, he said, I said, sit down. And when Jesus starts to sit, they would pull the stool out from under Jesus and he would fall to the ground. The room would erupt in laughter as they mocked our Savior a soldier then would extend a hand to help Jesus up from the floor and, and, and as soon as he would extend his hand, another hand would come and hit him upside the face and knock him back down. Another soldier would come by and nudge him with their boot, extends a hand and through eyelids that are swollen and bloody, Jesus looks up and takes his hand and the man fakes a punch. Jesus flinches and the whole room would erupt in laughter. A couple other soldiers would hoist the battered prisoner onto the stool and one of them prostrates himself and he would say, here's a gift of, 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 for our loyal subject. And he says this with an uppercut tearing the ligaments of our Savior in his jaw and knocking the stool back and our Savior would fall to the ground. They took a red cape and they placed it around his shoulders and they called him a king and they gave him a reed and they said, here's your scepter, your majesty. Here's a crown of thorns and they put it upon his head and they laughed and, and one soldier would kneel and bow and they all would laugh. Hail, king of the Jews. Lastly, instead of tossing garland and festive things and confetti, they would clear their throat and spit in our Savior's face. I want you to notice, not only there was a scourging and not only was there a mocking, not only were there nails and a crown of thorns, but there was also gamblers there. Look with me in John 19 and verse number 23. 
Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts. And to every soldier a part, and also his coat. And now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. We would say, all he owned was the clothes on his back. Here we even see that these were taken from Jesus by gamblers at Golgotha. Jesus didn't own a house. Jesus didn't own land. He didn't own sheep. He didn't own anything. All Jesus had when he went to the cross was the clothes that he wore, and they took that. He literally gave all that he had. There were probably five items altogether. The headband, the sandals, the garment, the belt, the tunic, which was a seamless robe worn next to the skin. And these articles were unequal in value, so they gambled. They either... uh, through sticks or they rolled some rocks or some dice and they would, uh, whichever would fall, they would, they would actually get that and they were gambling instead of tearing it into four pieces. The essence of a naked Christ, and I want you in your mind to think of the humility. When they stripped him of his clothes, the essence of a naked Christ is that he gave all that we might become all he is to God. See, the results of sin was the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Do you remember in the garden when sin came into the world? Nakedness. They realized they were naked, and so they were hiding from God and from fellowship, and so they were sown uh, some fig leaves and, and in order for them to be modest and them to, to, to cover up, if you will. Here, Jesus is stripped of his clothing. And as our naked substitute, he made it possible for us to be robed in his righteousness. He became that way so that we could be robed in His righteousness. He took the shame. There's an old hymn that I love that we sung this morning a cappella. I would love to sing that right now. It's called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I want you to see the words. We're going to put the words up here. And I want you, as some of you may not be familiar with this old hymn, but many of you are, I'm sure. But I want us to sing it, but I want us to also think about it. Sometimes we very seldom will sing a hymn, and we sing it because we like the tune, we like the chorus, we like the beat, we like this. But today we need to fall in love with the words. When I survey the wondrous cross On which the Prince of glory died My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. 
John 19, do you actually see love so amazing? If you see that, what should it do? It should demand my soul, my life, my all. The wondrous cross in which Jesus died for us But here's the amazing thing. I want you to look with me back at Matthew 27. I want you to see someone who watched all of this go down. Matthew chapter 27, and look with me in verse number 50. Matthew 27 and verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Notice verse 54. And when the centurion, and they that were with him watching Jesus, saw the earthquake, And those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. What made this soldier make this declaration? What made this soldier make such an amazing claim? Well, well, I, I think it was the suffering of our Savior. See, this soldier had seen other people die. This soldier had seen people die on a cross before. That was nothing new to him. He'd seen people. I mean, they, they would uh, kill many people on Roman crosses. This was a daily occurrence. He had seen people die. He had seen people die on a cross, but he had never seen anybody die like this man died. This man died different. This man died pouring out his love. We see the statements of Jesus, and that's for another 
message that I'll, I'll go to. He, he had seven statements from the cross. This man heard these statements. This man seen this death. And in the scenes, as the Bible says in Matthew 27, the graves were opened, the bodies of the saints which slept arose. I mean, there was a great resurrection that took place the moment he said, it is finished. Darkness at noonday. Things happening. And this man says, surely this was the Son of God. Can you imagine... Weeks after the resurrection, after Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts chapter 1. Can you imagine by Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching the day of Pentecost, and he's preaching outside of Jerusalem. Thousands of people there. Y'all remember that great day? About 3,000 people saved, added to the ch- baptized, added to the church. Can you imagine as Peter is preaching to those people at Pentecost, and Peter ended the message on that day of Pentecost by saying, Whosoever believeth in him may be saved. No. Shall be saved. Whosoever believeth shall be saved. And a man sitting out in the audience raises his hand and he says, Can I be saved? Peter said, Whosoever. And the man said, but you don't understand. I was the one who beat him in the back with a cat of nine tails. And Peter said, whosoever. About that time, another man would jump up and say, but, you, but, but, but can I be saved? And Peter said, whosoever. And he said, but I'm the one that took the spear and, and shoved it into his side. And Peter said, whosoever. Can I say today, if you'll call upon Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've, what you've been guilty of, He says, all who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. When He was on the cross, He did it for you and me. Please don't turn from Him today and reject Him and walk out. Come to Jesus the suffering Savior, the one who took the shame, come to Him.